0: My name is Wayne Smith, Uh, I am the head of school at Masters Academy, Uh, we are a ministry of our church, a pathway church that meets right here uh, on our our campus, I invite you to check us out, a biblical worldview education from K3 all the way through 12th grade. We are wrapping up just a short two-part series on the potter and the clay this morning, Uh, let's pray. Father, as we uh, break into your word again, we thank you for it. Father, we are but clay in your hands. And we invite you to mold us and shape us. And as we saw last week, and as we will see again this week, Lord, some of that molding process is not always comfortable. Sometimes it makes us feel uneasy. And it might even hurt. But Lord, we trust in the master potter. We trust in almighty God. We trust in his amazing grace to mold us and shape us and equip us. So Lord, we invite you you to speak to us this morning. As we endeavor to yield every part of our lives to your shaping process. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. My son and I, or my daughter too, for a few years um, took karate, and uh, we joined the uh, karate school, and our instructor, our main instructor, was he stood about this tall, uh, about half as wide as I am, he was really a skinny guy, but he was lightning fast and he could hit really, really hard. And sometimes when I would spar with him, I was tempted sometimes to say, hey, Master Ricks, take it easy on me. But there was a pathway that we were put on when we joined the karate school. And I did not tell the instructor what I wanted to do and not do when I turned up for training. I never told him, hey, I don't like those knuckle push-ups. <laughs> he used to make us do knuckle push-ups all the time. But, but there was a pathway that we were on. And we moved through the ranks and we entered tournaments. And, and, and even at our school, there is, there is a pathway that we put students on. If they want to graduate with a Masters Academy diploma, there is a pathway that we want them to follow. God has put you on a pathway. God has put you on a journey. And part of that journey is to mold you and shape you and equip you for His glory so that people would see Jesus in you and hear Jesus from you. Some of that gets uncomfortable. <laughs> Some of it is hard. Some of it is, is just an absolute delight. But if we would just hang in there and we would continually say, Lord, I am your clay, shape me and mold me. I am here, I'm not moving, I'm not budging. I am here to do with me whatever you choose to do. You will eventually look back. Sometimes you might not see it immediately but you will eventually look back and you would recognize the beautiful thing that God is doing in your life and in your family and in our church. The pathway is really quite simple. Micah, a prophet to Judah, summed it up in these words. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? We often mess that up because we're stubborn. We're opinionated. We don't take God at his word. We don't like sometimes the process or the molding and we strive against it, we resist it. But if we are going to be the beautiful vessels that God wants us to be, we have to allow God to mold us and to shape us. Many years ago, I read a little book called Leadership as an Art by the CEO of Herman Miller, a furniture company. And in that book, Max Dupree, the author, says this, you cannot become what you need to be by remaining where you are. And serving the Lord is a dynamic experience. It's a dynamic journey. We never stand still. We're always moving. We're always moving, hopefully forward, along the pathway that God has for us. And if there is somewhere that God wants us to be, we are not gonna get there if we stay where we are. And, and some of the reasons why we might stay where we are is because we resist the molding work of God In And this was the case of Judah. Judah was in serious spiritual decline. They were in in serious political trouble too. God was allowing pagan nations to rise up all around Judah and to threaten them, and God was warning them over and over and over again. Jeremiah 17, verse 13, he says, O Lord, the hope of Israel. There was still hope for Judah. And in the midst of this very threatening circumstance, God sends Jeremiah on an errand. Last week we looked at verses one through three. This morning we're gonna recap those verses and then move on through this chapter. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me, Jeremiah chapter 18, verse one. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel. Verse four, and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. The clay was spoiled. You and I in all various circumstances and ways and degrees and levels are spoiled clay. Sin has got into our lives, got into our psyches, got into our relationships, and has spoiled us. Not spoiled in the sense of parents giving kids too much, but spoiled in the sense that sin has spoiled us, marred us. And we cannot fix that. You and I cannot fix this mess that sin has done to us. The only remedy we have is Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. But we strive against that. Yes, we might invite Jesus into our lives and allow him to come and surrender to him and get saved as believers, as new believers, but then God never leaves us there. He wants to take us on this journey. And too often we resist that. Isaiah 45 verse nine, woe to him who strives with him who formed him or molded him. Judah was striving against God and God sent dozens and dozens of prophets over the years to warn Israel and warn Judah, but they were ignored, mocked, persecuted. Legend has it that the prophet Isaiah was sawn in half by those that God had wanted to hear the message of Isaiah. Sin was out of control, Pagan nations were rising up, putting puppets on the throne of Judah, and Judah was warned. Last week, I read this verse to you. I want to read it again, Matthew 23, verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Eventually, Judah is swept into captivity by Babylon. My friends, be very careful how you strive against God, how you resist his work in your life. Judah chose the paganism of the pagan nations rather than the molding, gracious work of God in their lives. Do you sometimes like the spoiled areas of your life more than you want God to transform those areas of your life? So what was the potter's intention? Let's pick up at verse four again. And he, the potter, and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. The New Living Translation, a paraphrase says this, On verse 4, but the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped, so he crushed it into another lump of clay as he saw fit. We don't like that crushed part, do we? (laughs) No, we certainly don't. But I believe we all recognize that there are times that God has to break us if he is going to mold us. And as Jeremiah is watching the potter work at the clay and sees the spoiled clay and the potter has to slow down and and recalibrate things so that the pot can take shape as the potter intends it, Jeremiah receives the message from the Lord, verse five and six. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Two important statements I wanna highlight. First of all, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. You and I figuratively are that clay and God is the potter. But just before that, God asks this question, of Israel or of Judah, can I not do to you as this potter does to the clay? And that's the question that God puts to us this morning. Can he do with you and your life as the potter does with the clay? Shape it and mold it. And if he has to, remove or deal with those areas of our lives that are spoiled, marred by sin. I think this is a lesson that we, at times, find hard to learn. That the clay has to submit to the potter. We often don't like that word, submission, submit. But we have to. If we are going to be the beautiful, useful vessel that God wants us to be, we have to submit to what he's doing in our lives. We may not like it, it may get uncomfortable, but if we don't submit, then we potentially are gonna miss out on so many blessings from the Lord. Henry Blackaby wrote a book, Experiencing God. Many of you, I'm sure, have gone through the Bible study. Henry Blackaby says this, equal access to God does not mean equal blessing from God. You and I have equal access to God. You and I are equal when it comes to being clay in the potter's hand. But you and I might miss some wonderful blessing from the Lord if we don't yield to his molding in our lives. So I want to share a statement with you, and some of you might find this controversial. Hang in with me. The conditional blessing of God. Now, we know that God is sovereign, and God can choose to bless you any way that He chooses, in any circumstance that He wants, in any way that He desires. But I'm also convinced that if we resist His molding in our lives, then we could potentially miss some of the blessings that God has for us. Let's read on, Jeremiah 7 through 10. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent from the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Let's briefly look at verse seven and eight. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent from the disaster that I intended to do to it. God is saying through Jeremiah's visit to the potter's house that if he is intending to, to bring harsh judgment on a nation, or I believe also a person, and if that nation or person repents, then God reserves the right to withhold that judgment. And then he goes on in verse 9 and 10, and if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build up and plant it, And if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I intended to do to it. And this is exactly what happened to Judah. God intended or desired or wanted to plant it to be a strong lighthouse in the midst of pagan nations all around it. And Judah resisted the work of God. And God brought judgment on Judah. We actually understand this as parents, don't we? that there are some things that we withhold from our kids as an act of discipline. We might not allow them to have their phones or their computers or not allow them to go out with their friends because we want them to learn a lesson. Also, if our kids have done something wrong and we call them on it and we speak to them and they confess and they break down and they're truly remorseful, we might decide, well, I'm not going to punish them because they have confessed and apologized. How many problems in life have you avoided because you've been serving the Lord? I think we can turn that around. (laughs) How much mess have you got into life because you've resisted the Lord? Have you ever looked back on something that you've messed up and done something wrong and you've thought to yourself, if only I had listened to the Lord. If only I would listened to mom and dad. How many blessings have we missed because we resisted the molding work of God in our lives? I believe that there are some conditions to God's blessing in our lives. I want you to look at this picture. The backdrop there is the old South African flag. I was born in South Africa in the early 1960s, 1961 to be exact. And in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, South Africa went through some of the worst social turmoil that uh, the vast majority of, co- of countries in the world, I'm sure, had not seen or experienced. There was, there was rioting and chaos and... and, and terrorist acts and, and bombs blowing up, and my sister one day was walking to, to work and a car bomb literally blew up about 100 meters in front of her. I was about 13, 14 years old, middle school, and we were at school one day. About 1 p.m. in the afternoon, they called us into an assembly. Uh, this was in Johannesburg, about well, about 30 miles south of, of Johannesburg. And they called us into an assembly and they said there's writing going on all over there's buses that are coming, they're gonna take you home, you need to go inside and stay inside until you hear from the police that it's safe to go out. That's the South Africa that I was raised in. And this bumper sticker became very popular in South Africa. The backdrop, the old South African flag, and those words, if my people will humble themselves and pray, I will heal their land. Now that sounds pretty easy, isn't it? Well, let's just pray and God's going to heal us. But that's not what the Word says, is it? Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. Isn't it convenient sometimes for us to leave out the ifs, the conditions, and just say, Lord, heal my land, heal this situation, or or fix this, and yet we're resisting God's molding work in our lives. The message from God to Judah through Jeremiah was clear. Verse seven and eight, if you repent, I will relent of the disaster I've planned. Verse nine and 10, if you continue in your sin, I will relent of the good that I intended to do for you. I'm not saying God changes his mind. God is not fickle. I'm saying that there's pathways. There's a pathway that's laid before us. And if we resist, God's leadership, if we resist his molding in our lives, we might miss out on some of the good that God has planned for us. I wanna take a few minutes and look at the word relent. Last night I tried to pronounce the Hebrew, I'm not gonna try to pronounce the Hebrew. (laughs) The word relent appears twice in this passage. Verse eight, if that that nation concerning which I've spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. Verse 10, if it it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I intended to do to it. The NRV and ESV translations translates the Hebrew. In fact, the Hebrew phrase is I will relent and translates that phrase phrase, relent. But the King James Version actually translates the Hebrew phrase, repent. Again, God's not changing his mind. But there are three, in fact, there's multiple ways. As I looked up the Hebrew there, there are multiple ways that this phrase, I will relent, gets gets used. But I'm going to mention just three of them. First of all, relent could mean to reverse course. It's like driving down this road and 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 suddenly there's a storm and a tree falls, falls in your road and you have, to, you have to reverse course. In Judah's case, there were two pathways, God's blessing or God's judgment. And God relented from doing the good because of Judah's choice to continue in their sin. The second way it can be used is to have pity. or it could be to be tired of having pity, to to be tired of relenting. Jeremiah uses this word in chapter 15, verse six. You have rejected me, declares the Lord. You keep going backward, so I've stretched out my hand against you and destroyed you. I am weary of relenting. Again, we understand that as parents. How many times have you told your kids, I am tired of telling you this. These are tough words. Another way that the word relent could be interpreted is to to sigh, and it could be to sigh a sigh of relief or to breathe a sigh of sorrow. So God is molding Judah and and trying to fashion Judah, and Judah just just resists and, and is spoiled, and God breathes a sigh of sorrow. God relents. We understand that as parents too. This isn't a sermon on parenting. But we just sigh the sigh of sorrow. Really? You did that? Or as God's molding us and equipping us and fashioning us, and we heal to that molding, God sighs a sigh of relief. Oh, wonderful. Let's move on. Let's grow. Let's do something beautiful, something great. How's God sighing over your life? How's God relenting over your life? Is he sighing, a sigh of joy and a sigh of, 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 of peace and encouragement, or is God sighing or breathing a sigh of sorrow? And so Jeremiah delivers a warning to Judah, verse 11. Now, therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. Don't you think they would? They've seen their northern kingdom, Israel, get destroyed. They've heard the prophets over and over and over again. Don't you think they would pause and repent, healed? But they're a spoiled nation. Verse 12, but they say, that is in vain. We will follow our own plans and with every one act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. And we gasp a breath of sorrow. Really? Look at verse 18, talking about the people of Judah again. Then they said, come let us make plots against Jeremiah for the law shall not perish from the priest nor counsel from the wise nor the word from the prophet. Come let us strike him with a tongue and let us not pay attention to any of his words. I hope that we never verbally Say that about God's work in our lives, but sometimes internally we can act like that, where we're just stubborn. Judah, Judah, how often I've wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you are not willing. There is an Old Testament word that is rather fitting at this time it's Ichabod. Eli, this is, this is now going back several hundred years before uh, Jeremiah's time. Eli was the priest. Israel was going through one of its dark, sinful patches. Eli was kind of a decent priest, but he, his, his household was out of control. His sons, Hophnius and Phinehas, were priests, and they, they were wicked, sinful. God was raising up the Philistine army to bring judgment on Israel, and they went into battle. They took the Ark of the Covenant with them. The Ark of the Covenant represents God's presence. And they're thinking that this would be some magic uh, remedy for them. And they go into battle. Hophni and Phineas are killed. Israel is defeated. The Ark of the Covenant is taken cap- captive. And message gets back to Eli. And Eli is a heavy-set guy and he's sitting on his chair and he hears this message. He falls back, breaks his neck and dies. Phinehas' daughter is giving birth, and she delivers a son, and she calls him Ichabod. The glory has departed from Israel. Wow. As God writing Ichabod over Judah during Jeremiah's time, the glory of the Lord has departed. Has God ever written that over something in your life, something you said or something that you do, that, that secret thing that you do in business, or that way that you talk to your spouse? Does God write Ichabod, the glory of the Lord is departed? There is a beautiful, beautiful vessel in every one of us. A clay pot that God wants to use for his glory. So let's transition. I know this has kind of been heavy stuff. So let's transition as we wrap this up into something positive. Second Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. What is this ministry? If you go back to chapter three, Paul talks about the new covenant, the ministry of the new covenant. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, we're inviting people to examine us. Check us out. Verse seven, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. We're a beautiful pot, right? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And how is it that somebody can be hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down, but they are not crushed, they're not in despair, they're not abandoned, they're not destroyed? Verse 10, for we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And there it is. Christ in you. God is molding you and molding, in a sense, Christ in you so that Christ becomes more visible and more preeminent in your lives and Christ shines for God's glory to a world around you. Paul actually calls this treasure a mystery Colossians 127, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is our hope. Not hope on my own strength or my own ingenuity, but hope of hoping in Christ in me to mold me and shape me and equip me for God's glory. Finally, last three verses in 2 Corinthians chapter four. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Take note of verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. How are you doing? How are you doing with the molding work that God wants to do in your life? I'm not trying to make light of your issues and your circumstances. But my encouragement to you is to fix your eyes on what God is doing. Fix your eyes on eternal things. Fix your eyes on the molding work that God wants to do in your life. Because he wants you to be a beautiful, beautiful vessel for him. A treasure. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have a tradition in our church where we often invite people to come forward and pray if they want to. But I'm gonna encourage you to not do that at this time. We, the worship team our team is going to lead us in a song. And in this song, it's actually a prayer. And in this prayer, we are praying, Lord, mold me. Because you're the potter. I'm your clay, mold me. And I want to encourage you to pray that prayer where you are. But I also encourage you to be careful as you pray this. Mean it, because God's molding in your life might have some difficult stages in it. So pray this song as we sing it together. And then at the conclusion of it, if you want to come forward, there will be prayer partners on this side to pray with you if you want to pray alone. But let's stand together and have the Lord minister to us as we commit to him, Lord, mold me as you see fit. And this is, this is our concluding prayer this yeah, this morning, for God to mold us as he sees fit.
1: Wonderful Savior, I know for sure. All of my days are held in your head, crafted into your purpose. Lord to live all of my life through
2: In your heart, your mind. Don't leave. Uh, The altars are still open. God bless you, church. We love you.